How did one 15th century text lead to the deaths of tens of thousands of people by changing the definition of witchcraft? Find out this week on Footnoting History. Hello and welcome to Footnoting History. My name is Nathan. Uh, on today's episode of the podcast, I want to return to a topic that we've talked about before on the show, uh, namely witchcraft. In an episode that aired earlier this year, Leslie talked about the way that witches were punished in 16th century England. I'd like to go back a little bit earlier than that and talk about, in particular, how one text on witches, the Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of the Witches, set the stage for these later witch hunts. Now, in order to understand why the Malleus was so significant, we need to talk for a moment about what sorcery is and the context in which this text was written. I say sorcery because our modern notion of what witches are and what they do is kind of filled with a lot of cultural baggage, some of which comes directly from the Malleus. The concepts of sorcery and magic are very old ones, and within the Judeo-Christian tradition, these practices were banned in the oldest of scriptures, the Torah. Uh, Exodus 22.18, for instance, says, You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Certainly, in the Middle Ages, there was a lot of traditional or popular belief that certain people were capable of supernatural acts, some beneficial and some harmful. The Middle Ages also recognized two levels of magic. On one hand, there was high or learned magic, which was more like a kind of arcane knowledge and involved complex rituals that, for example, invoked angels to bind demons to do the summoner's bidding. I read an example of one of these rituals in one of our Halloween episodes a couple of years ago. The other kind of magic was low magic, or sorcery, what we might term witchcraft. This was a kind of magic that sought to circumvent the natural, divinely ordained order by supernatural means, and through spells, incantations, potions, and the like, cause harmful acts, or maleficium, literally means evil acts or evil deeds. Things like freak hailstorms, uh, causing crops to fail, cattle to die, uh, using love potions, that sort of thing. However, in theological terms, from about 900 AD, the Catholic Church proclaimed that anyone who believes that they have magical powers is in fact believing a lie. This position is most clearly delineated in a part of church law, or canon law, called the Canon Episcopi, which says, quote, Bishops and their officials must labor with all their strength to uproot thoroughly from their parishes the pernicious art of sorcery and evil acts, maleficia, invented by the devil, and if they find a man or woman follower of this wickedness, to eject them foully disgraced from the parishes. It is also not to be omitted that some unconstrained women, perverted by Satan, seduced by illusions and phantasms of demons, believe and openly profess that, in the dead of night, they ride upon certain beasts with the pagan goddess Diana, with a countless horde of women, and in the silence of the dead of night, to fly over vast tracts of country, and to obey her commands as their mistress, and to be summoned to her service on other nights. But it were well if they alone perished in their infidelity, and did not draw so many others into the pit of their faithlessness." For an innumerable multitude, deceived by this false opinion, believe this to be true, and, so believing, wander from the right faith and relapse into pagan errors when they think that there is any divinity or power except the one God. 
Wherefore the priests throughout their churches should preach with all insistence to the people that they may know this to be in every way false, and that such phantasms are sent by the devil who deludes them in dreams. Thus Satan himself, who transforms himself into an angel of light when he has captured the mind of a miserable woman and has subjected her to himself by infidelity and incredulity, immediately changes himself into the likeness of different personages and deluding the mind which he holds captive and exhibiting things both joyful and sorrowful and persons both known and unknown leads her faithless mind through devious ways. And while the spirit alone endures this, she thinks these things happen not in the spirit, but in the body. As this passage indicates, the canonist episcopy, first of all, makes a connection between witchcraft and women, and it makes it clear that the official church position is that these women do not do the things that they claim, flying through the air and performing magic, but are instead tricked into thinking that they do so by the devil. As a result, trials for witchcraft were relatively rare in the Middle Ages. They existed, but not in large numbers. All this begins to change in the 15th century. Over the course of the century, a new strain of thinking regarding the nature of witchcraft began to emerge, largely because of the writings of a number of Dominican friars. The Dominicans were a religious order of the Catholic Church, founded in the early 13th century by St. Dominic de Guzman, for the purpose of eradicating heresy through preaching and teaching. Because of this, they also tended to make up a large portion of the inquisitors of the Catholic Church. And now, the word inquisition for us has a very specific connotation, largely because of the Spanish Inquisition, founded in the late 15th century, but the medieval Inquisition was designed to ferret out erroneous or dangerous beliefs and practices in the Christian Church. In other words, heresy. And I have talked about this before in my previous episode on Beatrice de Plenisol. But witchcraft, since it technically didn't exist, it was a delusion in the eyes of the church, uh, wasn't as big of a concern as you might think. Occasionally, there would be accusations of magic in inquisitorial proceedings, but they were rarely, if ever, the main focus. Over the course of the 15th century, however, some Dominican tracts began to question the accepted nature and categorization of witchcraft. The work Formicarius, which means anthill, by the Dominican Johannes Nieder, for instance, suggested that witches were real, and some of the acts they performed were real. Sorcery was only part of his work, though, and most of Formicarius is concerned with other topics. Nevertheless, there seems to have been an increasing concern over the activities of witches in this century. Historians have offered a number of theories as to why this might be so, from political and economic instability to the eroding authority of the hierarchical institutional Catholic Church. Whatever the cause, by the 1480s, at least one man, the Dominican friar Heinrich Kramer, was firmly convinced that witches and their maleficent acts were real, and, moreover, that far from being deceived, these women were in league with the devil himself, and received the power to perform their deeds from him. Kramer was born in the town of Schlettstadt in Alsace, in what was then part of the Holy Roman Empire, but today is in eastern France, just a few miles from the modern Franco-German border. He joined the Dominican order sometime in his 20s, and pursued a theological education, eventually becoming a professor of theology, and later, an inquisitor appointed to German territories. In his professional life, he preferred to use the Latin form of his last name, Institoris. Uh, Kramer in German means shopkeeper, and the Latin word for shopkeeper is institor. As an inquisitor, Kramer pursued his vocation with particular vigor, 
perhaps in fact too much vigor, as he was censured by bishops and even his own order several times during his career. On at least one occasion, he was even accused of theft and embezzlement of funds, though he was never convicted. However, he did enjoy papal favor, and by 1484, was appointed as chief co-inquisitor of the German lands east of the Elbe River, along with Jacobus Springer, who would be his co-author of the Malleus Maleficarum. During his long experience as an inquisitor, Kramer encountered more and more evidence of what he believed were the diabolical activities of witches in his inquisitorial territories, and so, together with Springer, he set about writing a treatise on this pernicious threat to Christian society. This was the Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of the Witches. The Malleus is often labeled as one of the first witch-hunting manuals for inquisitors. The fact is that that isn't really the Malleus's purpose, and the part of the Malleus that does concern the prosecution of sorcery borrows heavily from another Dominican inquisitor, Nicholas Americk. The goal of the first section of the Malleus is in fact to overturn nearly six centuries of canon law precedent regarding the nature of witches. This first part, I should note, is the one which probably includes most of the sections written or edited by Springer, who was a bit more academic than Kramer, and was, in his professional life, much more concerned with getting people to pray the rosary. One 19th century historian even suggested that Springer's name was appended to the work later, but this is highly unlikely as the work was printed during Springer's lifetime, and he would almost certainly have corrected the error. The Malleus opens first with a justification for its writing, in which the authors attribute the rise in sorcerer's practice to the coming of the end of days. This is followed by a papal letter, or bull, issued to Kramer and Springer in 1484, which offers support for their mission, saying, quote, It is not without great vexation that it has recently come to our, the Pope's, uh, hearing that in some parts of Upper Germany, as well as in the provinces, cities, lands, places, and dioceses, of Mainz, Cologne, Trier, Salzburg, and Bremen, very many persons of both sexes have forgotten their own salvation and deviated from the Catholic faith. Committing abuses with incubus and succubus demons, they have no fear of using their incantations, chants, and conjurations, and other unspeakable superstitions and acts of sorcery, as well as excesses, crimes, and misdeeds, in order to bring it about that the offspring of women, the progeny of animals, the produce of the earth, the grapes of the vines, and the fruits of the trees, as well as men, women, work animals, cows, sheep, and other animals of various kinds, and also the vines, orchards, fields, pastures, wheat, grain, and other crops of the earth, are killed, suffocated, and wiped out. They also afflict and torture these men, women, work animals, cows, sheep, and animals with terrible pains and torments, both internal and external, and keep the men from fathering children, and the women from conceiving by impeding their ability to render the conjugal act to each other." Quote. Impeding the ability to render the conjugal act in this case meant causing not only impotence, but in some cases creating an illusory glamour to make it seem like the man's penis had disappeared. The bull is then followed by a written testimony of several university theologians that the work is orthodox and not itself heretical, and then the Malleus begins laying out its case for the reality of witches and the description of their activities. While witches may be of both sexes, the Malleus argues that women are particularly easily seduced by the devil, both spiritually and physically. They are often lured by desperation, desertion of husbands and lovers, or desire for vengeance, into a pact with the devil, 
because they can receive no relief in this life or they experience a tremendous loss of some kind. Rather than accepting strength from God, they want an easy way out. Women are also supposedly less rational or intelligent than men, which makes them more gullible to the devil's arguments. They are, moreover, ensnared gradually, doing small things at first, like avoiding the Eucharist or confession, and building up to larger and larger sins, until, like the allegorical frog who is boiled alive because the heat is turned up gradually, they are in too deep. And so, usually convinced by other witches, they go out into the forest to a secret gathering called a sabbat. Um, once they become witches, the devil enables them to fly to these gatherings. There they pay homage to Satan, and then they seal the unholy pact by having sex with a demon. There is dancing, revelry, and all sorts of debauched behavior, perhaps the consumption of a baby or two, before they return home, empowered to perform maleficia and promising to bring other people into this pact with the devil. Thus witchcraft, under Kramer and Springer's definition, becomes diabolical and satanic in a way that it had never really been before, and allows them to take the extraordinary step of labeling it as a heresy. But even here, they make an unusual case in the third section of the work on prosecuting witches. By the 15th century, torture was a regular part of heresy inquisitions, mostly as a persuasion mechanism. Better that your body hurt for a short time than the soul to burn for eternity. There were some regulations regarding torture. It was ideally not supposed to kill or cause permanent deformity, and so the most common forms were stretching devices that pulled the joints out of socket. There was also an awareness in the Middle Ages that an accused person will say almost anything to cause the torture to end, and so any confession made under torture had to be repeated out of torture. But Kramer and Springer suggested that the torture itself could reveal the presence of a witch, as the devil empowers witches, especially women, not to cry when they are tortured. Which brings us to an important point. Is this work misogynistic? Uh, the short answer is, well, yes. But as Christopher McKay points out, it depends on what you mean by misogynistic. It does address sorcery as a phenomenon afflicting both sexes. We also saw that in the papal bull as well. But it does say that women, particularly uneducated peasant women, are more likely to be witches because of their gullibility, weakness, and the ease with which they are persuaded into sin. Now, this was a view not unique to the Malleus. This position was espoused by other medieval texts as well. However, Kramer as an inquisitor, and as the author of this and other works, seems to have been a little obsessed with female sexual behavior. While married women were, in his view, equally susceptible because they have known sexual pleasure, Kramer suggests that the devil has a particular interest in corrupting virgins. And while the Malleus does provide examples of women who have resisted diabolical advances by say, making the sign of the cross, it also talks about instances where virgins have been seduced, especially, as Janine Peterson points out, ones who were already intending to commit fornication. The authors also have to overcome a major theological hurdle in all of this, namely, how does the devil have the power to act in the physical realm? Their answer is that God allows the devil to act through his agents, witches, in order to both test humanity and to punish it for its wickedness. This opens up, as Christopher McKay notes, a troubling cycle, whereby God allows witches to cause harm as punishment, but since the church doesn't recognize yet sorcery as a real thing, it has gone unpunished, causing God to get angrier and allow even more acts of sorcery to be committed as punishment for the previous sorcery. This may seem ridiculous, but 
if you think the world is spinning out of control around you, it can suddenly become very persuasive. The immediate effect of the Malleus is difficult to chart, but its long-term effect was remarkable. It was reprinted eight times in the first decade after its original publication in 1486, and then in 16 more editions up to 1669. While later works would be more practical manuals for witch-finding, it was Kramer and Springer who first linked witchcraft to diabolism and heresy. And there is a sense in which witches were the perfect heretics, enemies of God and the natural social order that were empowered by diabolical forces to hide their own nature, causing harm to the world around them. With the advent of the Protestant Reformations 20 years after the Malleus's publication, people on both sides of the confessional divide became even more convinced that diabolical forces were at work in the world, that spiritual warfare was being played out on the physical plane. We're not entirely sure of how many people were tried, convicted, and executed as witches in the hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries, but even conservative estimates place the number in the tens of thousands. And it was the Malleus Maleficarum that opened the door for those witch hunts. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.